This episode of The Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ. If you follow the pod, you know we love analysis and information. We don't yell at each other. We don't throw out hot takes. We don't beat the same topics into the ground. That's how CBS Sports HQ does things, too. It's a sports network that streams live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're focused on bringing you the latest news, highlights, stats, game previews, game reactions, fantasy advice, and gambling picks. No fake debates, no politics, no made-up drama. It's just sports for sports fans. The best part, you get all of this for free. I don't mean a free trial or part of some special cable package. It's legitimately free for everybody. You don't even need a login. Just open the CBS Sports app and watch anytime, anywhere, on your phone or at home, on your Apple TV, your Roku, or your Fire TV. It could not be easier. So download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere Vodka is all-natural and made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye and pristine water. Belvedere has championed Polska rye vodka and superior natural ingredients since its inception and continues their mission with its new Belvedere Single Estate Rye Series. These award-winning vodkas, Smoggery Forest and Lake Bartizek, are two distinct-tasting vodkas born from unique terroir and expert craftsmanship. It takes a lot of craftsmanship to build a winning fantasy football team, and it also takes craftsmanship to make Belvedere vodka. Taste the difference and enjoy Belvedere's new single-estate rye vodkas on the rocks or in a delicious cocktail today. Belvedere is a quality choice. Drinking responsibly used to. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast presented by the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Danny Heifetz, and I am joined by the one, the only, the all-timer, the hero we need, the analyst we deserve, the Dark Knight, Danny Kelly. What is on your mind, DK? <laughs> I'm just trying to make sense of all the crazy action from over the weekend, man. It's, uh, it was a lot of stuff went down, a lot of trades, a lot of cuts, obviously, a lot of guys getting claimed on waivers and things like that. Kind of hard to sort through, but uh, that's what we're here for today. Dude, a lot happened. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go over the whole weekend. The crazy weekend, uh, like almost like a half dozen teams had pretty big fantasy implications change over Labor Day weekend. So we're gonna be break down the biggest and most actionable fantasy fallout from all that. Um, whether you have drafted already and want to make a trade or a free agent move, or maybe you haven't and need some last minute advice, we have some answers for you. One big picture note before we dive in: um, there's obviously a lot going on this weekend, and if it feels like that was different from previous years, it kind of is so like training camp rosters in the NFL, the real NFL are 90 players, but the in-season rosters are 53. So that's a big cut down. So the league used to do it in two waves. They used to go from rosters being 90 to 75, and then they'd cut 75 to 53 guys. Now the league just does 90 dudes to 53 in one weekend. So that's yeah. 37 players times 32 teams. So in 48 hours, you have about 1100 players become free agents. So that's just <laughs> chaos. It, it's chaos for teams yeah. that want to, dip into that 1100 player free agent pool. It's a scramble for teams to fill out the roster. So as long as there's a 90 to 53 person cut down in the week before the season, it's probably going to remain a late scramble. So if you kind of got screwed by something this weekend, maybe you drafted good old Damian Williams on the chiefs in your third round. And now you're kind of pissed. 
<laughs> just a good reminder that this is probably the new normal and it's worth doing your fantasy draft as close to the season as humanly possible uh, because this is probably going to keep happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it like especially in dynasty leagues, man. So many, so many players that you kind of like thinking are really exciting just like ended up cut or on practice squads or something like that. So, um, but yeah, it's it's there was a lot of movement, a lot of uh, well, there was a handful of really high impact fantasy moves over the weekend that definitely kind of messed up some people's plans, I think. And so we're we're gonna go one by one through the biggest stories, pick out some of the winners and losers, I think from each of those moves and kind of figure out what it means for the fantasy landscape. Yeah. So let's try to fix people's plans. So let's dive in. So the first big move that happened of the many this weekend. So the bills cut LaShawn McCoy on Saturday, his cap, it was going to be just a tick over $9 million. Instead, they cut him, and his cap, it will be almost $3 million to not have him on the team. That was Saturday. And then on Sunday, the Chiefs signed McCoy. It's a one year deal for $3 million guaranteed. It could be worth up to $4 million. So, DK, who are kind of the winners and losers from the Bills losing McCoy and the Chiefs getting him? Well, the, the initial reaction was it was a big win for Devin Singletary, the rookie running back in Buffalo, who has a chance to, I think, over the season kind of take over the lead role there. Obviously, he has to contend with Frank Gore is still there. TJ Yeldon, I think, is kind of the, a pass-catching type specialist for them. Um, and per the Athletics' Joe Buscalia, uh, Singletary won't be consistently featured back, at least not early in the season. They're going to take a committee approach as Brandon Bean confirmed on Saturday. So um, I think early on, there's not like a super clear winner, but I think long term in, in terms of this whole season, I think Devin Singletary gets a huge bump from me um, because I think he'll just end up being the most dynamic and most fantasy relevant player in that offense. And, and they're obviously a team that likes to run. So he he's a guy who I think was kind of one of the clear winners, at least for in, in terms of with the Bills. Also, never underestimate Frank Gore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so they also have Frank Gore there in T.G. Eldon, but Singletary was the third rounder uh, in this year's draft. Dika, you are our draft expert. So what? how does Devin Singletary, what kind of runner is he? How is he different than McCoy? And how, how is he different than Yeldon and um, Frank Gore there in the backfield? He was drawing a lot of uh, comparisons, actually, to LaShawn McCoy early on in the draft season, I guess. And then he ran real slow at the combine. I think it changed people's opinions on him. He ran like a 4.6, I think. Um, so people were like, oh, maybe he doesn't have the juice to be an effective back. But he he was, you know, in college, one of the most elusive uh, running backs in the nation. Very, very slick moves, like just like can stop on a dime and, and make guys miss that, that kind of thing. Um, so he, he was again, one of the most best tackle breakers in college football. And so I think that's kind of like what people are seeing. He, he does not have elite high end speed, but um, I mean, as we saw, I think so far we've seen with like David Montgomery, who a lot of people were worried he was too slow. Also like just have, just being able to like, move quickly and break tackles in the short areas is more important than being able to hit a home run. So I like Singletary a lot. So I, I I think he'll be good in that offense. So DK, would you say that week one, you might want to start Frank Gore if you had to start anybody on the bills and by week eight, maybe you're starting Devin Singletary. Yeah, probably. I mean, I I, I don't know if I would start anyone in, in that, in that trio right away to kind of see how it goes. I mean, if you have other options, just go with other options, but um, yeah, early on, I'm guessing they'll lean on the veteran. And then as they move along, Singletary will get more comfortable and, and he'll, by the end of the season, be the lead guy there. 
Shout out Florida Atlantic and Devin Singletary. So that's the Bills. What about the Chiefs? Who are so McCoy's obviously a winner here, but who are, who are some yeah. of the losers on Kansas City? I don't know. To me, this feels like disastrous for Damian Williams because he was getting taken, I believe, in like the second round. Man, he was going really high. He was always way too high for for my taste. I think um, I avoided him in almost every draft. In fact, every draft, I don't think I took him anywhere. Um, so it's disastrous for him in the sense that he's not going to be the clear lead back there. At the very least, it's going to be a committee. And maybe at worst, McCoy is going to be the clear starter and get like the lion share, the, the, the carries and targets there. So it's also not great for people who were hoping Darwin Thompson would kind of ascend the, the depth chart, which was me. I, I took Darwin Thompson in a couple drafts and was hoping that kind of like the Singletary thing by like midway through the season, he'd be the starter. Uh, that looks much, much less likely now. Darwin Thompson's still a great dynasty buy, but um, it kind of kills his fantasy stock, I think, right now, um, just because I think McCoy and, and Williams will be kind of the one-two punch there. So, yeah, so Damian Williams, you know, he, was, he emerged as the clear best running back on the Chiefs after they cut Kareem Hunt. He had a couple excellent games last year, including 103 yards uh, in what was the fantasy championship for most people on Christmas Eve Eve. But... As Craig Craig here loves to note, he's never had more than fifty carries in a season. So now that he would, I mean, would you be drafting McCoy over Williams? Like, especially for people who, are, who haven't drafted yet, where there's still a lot of value in sites that haven't updated their rankings. Would yeah. you be taking McCoy higher than Williams at this point? I would be. Yeah, I have more confidence. I think at this point that they want McCoy to be kind of the guy. I mean, he's got history with Reed. Um, you know, he's proven himself to be able to handle a heavy load in, in the past. Obviously, he's 31 now, and, you know, he, he wasn't himself last season in terms of his ability to break tackles and all that. But I don't know. I, I still think he's got enough to, you know, be a, a very productive back, especially in this offense. And so I've got way more confidence in McCoy. I think the the amount of money they gave him, right, there's like $3 million, potentially could be $4 million. And just how quickly they signed him kind of just shows that they have a plan for him in my mind. And so I would, I would, I think if the rankings, you know, to update the rankings or whatever, I'm going to put probably McCoy just right above Williams. And I'm guessing it'll be a committee. And, you know, maybe McCoy will get hurt and Williams will end up being the lead guy again. But um, I think you have to drop Williams way, way down. And I put him a little bit behind McCoy now. I think this muddies the water a little bit for for kind of the Chiefs and and for a bit the Bills. I think this is probably a smart football move by the Chiefs, but I think you're going to now get the best out of Damian Williams because like we said, he's never had more than 13 carries in a game. So we might actually get last year's Damian Williams this year where he's extremely efficient and is doing his best Kareem Hunt impression from a fantasy perspective and McCoy will bring, you know, his connection with Andy Reid to the table and the Chiefs might actually have won more than any fantasy perspective has. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's it's definitely more, way more of a committee, and I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if how people are confident, how confident people are in, in starting any of these guys going forward. There would be value there, but unfortunately, it seems that people have probably overinvested so much in Damian Williams at this point without knowing that this would happen. That it's just it's really tough for everyone involved. Yeah, but a, probably a boon for the people who had McCoy in the Bills. One thing I did want to note is forty nine qualified rushers last year. McCoy was forty eighth in yards per attempt, but whether that's being on the Bills or McCoy is being washed, we will find out. But getting uh, yeah. in a new offense is probably going to be good enough to maybe get 25 spots higher on that list. Yeah. So one name we did not mention 
is how this affects Carlos Hyde, because Carlos Hyde is no longer on the Chiefs. <laughs> he got traded to the Texans, one of a flurry. I think this qualifies as a flurry, maybe like a downpour of trades the Texans did this year. Or, sorry, this weekend. Uh, so they traded. The Texans traded uh, interior lineman Martinez Rankin to the Chiefs for Carlos Hyde. Then in a separate deal, they traded uh, left tackle Laramie Tunsil. Or sorry, they got the Texans got Laramie right. Tunsil, Kenny Stills, and then 2024th rounder and a 2021 sixth rounder from Miami. And then Miami got Houston's 2021st rounder, Houston's 2021 first rounder, the 2020, 20, sorry, not that many 20s, 2021 <laughs> second rounder, tackle Julian Davenport, who is one of the more underperforming tackles in the league. And then they also got Johnson Bademosi, Badmosi. Uh, really what this. Boils down to for fantasy uh, perspective, and that we're going to get into the Jadavion Clowney trade uh, in a moment. But all of this might be terrible for Houston's long-term prospects. Who knows? <laughs> but for 2019, this is really good for their offense, which is all we care yeah. about right now. Yeah. So from a fantasy perspective, and we can just ignore all the draft picks. We'll let Kevin Clark and Robert Mays talk about what the impact of their 2021 second rounder is in Miami. <laughs> but for right now, how does this impact Houston's offense from a fantasy perspective for this year i mean i think the the biggest takeaway immediately is it's a big boost um potentially for uh quarterback deshaun watson just because he hasn't had a good left tackle uh in at all of last year and you know for a lot of his career obviously Dwayne brown they traded previously to the seahawks um but um yeah so this is huge and potentially for his left side his blind side um, clearly, you know, sacks are somewhat related or very cl- strongly related to the quarterback. Um, so a lot of times he'll, you know, run and kind of hold, trying to hold on to the ball and, and make plays and doesn't get rid of the ball as quickly as a lot of other quarterbacks. So the sacks are somewhat related to him, but just having sort of a trustworthy guy on his blind side could potentially be big. Um, so I think that right off the bat, that's, that's a good thing for them. And adding Kenny Stills is, is sort of another sort of under the radar, uh, less, I guess heralded move that I like a lot too, just because it gives them a lot more depth in their receiver core. Because before this trade, you know, there was obviously Will Fuller and Kiki Kuti. QT. I don't know how to say that. I think it's QT actually. I've been saying it wrong the whole time, but um, both of those guys, Will Fuller and QT are, are very talented. And, and you know, when they're all healthy, like that offense could really hum, but they haven't been super reliable. QT has been having um, injuries, Basically, the entire time he's been with the team, uh, Fuller's got multiple knee injuries on his history, and I don't know how reliable he is right now. So getting stills kind of is is a hedge for both of those guys in twenty or in twenty nineteen, just because um, you know stills can be that deep threat. He's got tons of speed. He can kind of play that Will Fuller stretch the defense role, but he can also run out of the slot and be a threat in the slot if that's what they need him to do. So I think that was a kind of a a good move for them, a smart move. They were trying to, obviously Miami was trying to get rid of stills just because he was outspoken about, you know, multiple different things, kind of butting heads with the head coach there. And so, um, yeah, so I think they were just trying to get rid of him. And this is a great landing spot for him in terms of the offensive scheme. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Playing Jay-Z to own the libs in Miami, but <laughs> yeah, with, that was strange but with the Texans. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I like what you said where it's kind of a hedge for them. So they have a talented receiving core, Will Fuller, but Will Fuller has played 17 games in the last two years. DeAndre Hopkins has been a machine, but he's yeah. played hurt a lot. And then Kiki QT had injuries to both hamstrings last year and then already had an ankle injury in the preseason. 
So then suddenly that's a pretty thin core because their tight ends are, I would, I would, it's not only the least accomplished tight end group in the league, probably in the last few years, the team has put together in terms of what they've done and been able to do pass catching wise is the Texans have no real contributors uh, at tight end. So now in the last few weeks, they've added Duke Johnson, who's one of the better receiving backs in the league. And now they have stills. So they've really added a lot of firm depth where if everyone's healthy, this might be the best pass catching group in the league. But now even if Will Fuller and QT aren't around, it's it's suddenly it's not a disaster anymore. But right. Yeah. Gives them some insurance. Well, speaking of Duke Johnson, how do you see the relationship between Carlos Hyde? Uh, so obviously they traded a fourth rounder a few weeks ago for Duke Johnson. Can it turn into a third? Yeah, it could turn into a third based on incentives. And as Evan Silva established the run noted, it was the most draft capital teams parted with for a running back in a trade since Trent Richardson was traded to the Colts for a first rounder earlier this decade. Mm. Now they turn around and they trade like a guard that was going to be a backup for them or sorry, a center that's going to be a backup for them. Uh, for Hyde. So how do you see that backfield working out now with Lamar Miller out with the torn ACL? They cut a couple of their undrafted free agents that we thought might have been able to contribute. So how do you see the Johnson Hyde dynamic working out? Again, you cannot use it's hard to use logic with the tech. <laughs> I, I said this. I said this when they t- traded for Duke. Um, that is kind of hard to read the tea leaves with this team. And then they made these crazy trades over the weekend and it only strengthened my belief that like who the hell knows what they're going to do kind of thing. <laughs> um, so like banking on anything is can be pr- pretty foolhardy for for Bill O'Brien and just in general. But that said, I have just my gut is that Duke Johnson is going to be the clear lead guy there. Um, I think he's far more talented. This is, you know, this may hopefully this isn't going to be a situation like it was in Cleveland where, you know, you have a head coach or play caller that just wants Hyde to be in there for for whatever reason over a guy like Chubb and Johnson. Um, I'm just hoping it's not going to be that situation, and I don't think it will be. I just, you know, whatever. I don't. There's no logic to it, but that's just my gut. Um, so to me, Duke Johnson's still the clear lead guy. I think they were getting they got Hyde because they didn't have they weren't high quite high enough on Damian Crockett or uh, Karan Higdon or any of their backup guys. And so he, to me, Hyde is just a veteran presence that they can, in in their mind anyway, that they can trust if if Duke can't handle like a full full load. So I I, I don't know. I think Duke Johnson will be the lead guy there, and he's going to have a potential to kind of just go off. But the trade for Hyde definitely kind of throws a wrinkle in it. So this is such a strange situation now because a year ago. For the Browns, Carlos, a year ago, the Browns had just come off an 0-16 season, and Carlos Hyde was their lead back. Duke Johnson was kind of their third down pass catching guy, and then Nick Chubb was this high draft pick that was kind of sitting behind both of them. Mm -hmm. Now, Now they're in a weird situation where Duke Johnson might be the starter, and Hyde is kind of expected to be a warm body behind him. Just one year ago, when Hyde in the six games that Hyde was on the Browns, he was getting 20 touches per game, and Duke Johnson... For the Browns last year, had five point four touches per game. Yeah. So are you? So I think there's this assumption that because the Texans shelled out more draft picks for Duke Johnson than the or draft capital rather than the uh, they the Texans sent to the Chiefs or Carlos Hyde. Are we sure that Carlos Hyde's not going to be the lead back at the end of this year? I mean, no, I'm not. And again, it's just because you can't use logic with this front office, but or with this coaching staff and front office, but. No, I, I my my guess right now and my gut is that Duke Johnson's going to be the guy. 
Um, but that said, like that is something to monitor and it's something to consider when you're when you're looking to draft either of these guys. Okay. And the the last person I wanted to know here is a winner from this is Albert Wilson. He's one of the Dolphins receivers. He was among the best in yards after the catch last year. Uh, led the league in yards per route run in a limited sample. And then his season was ended uh, prematurely. He had some injuries, but this year I think he's so, he's a really good value because he's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can basically get him with. He's going on the 140th, 150th overall. So you can get him as a flyer in, in the at a late round. He's kind of everything you want in a late round pick. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has been named the Dolphins starter. It was never a competition. He'll probably start the whole year. Scott Barrett at Pro Football Focus noted in the last 10 seasons combined, Ryan Fitzpatrick has the most, or sorry, the highest percentage of passes targeting the slot. Mm. Wilson is one of the best slot receivers in football by all the advanced metrics that predict future performance. So in the past two years combined, Wilson is rated sixth out of 94 receivers in yards per route run he, from the slot. The only receivers yeah. ahead of him are Michael Thomas, A.J. Green, Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown, and Devontae Adams. And then Alba Jesus. Wilson's sixth. <laughs> this is a person you can get with your last, like basically your third to last pick. So before yeah. defense and a kicker, you're really your last bench spot. And he's everything you want. They have a terrible defense, so they'll be seeing a lot of garbage time. They just lost Kenny, or they traded Kenny still so that they have way more targets to go around. And also, he's a big play guy, so he's a high upside play. He's not going to be some middling person. There's going to be boom or bust, but it's everything you want, I think, in your, you know, your last bench spot. So love right. Albert Wilson this right. year in Miami. He's currently going as the wide receiver 73 right now in PPR, <laughs> so he's going undrafted. In truth, I think it's another player that, look, every now and then there's players that kind of fall through the cracks of rankings, especially on, on sites where if you're doing a draft on ESPN or on Yahoo and whatever, there are certain players that just are not going to be updated commensurately to your value. And you'll be have a huge advantage over the other people drafting that are just kind of looking at these rankings and just scroll down like three or four full pages. And you're like, Oh, look at this gem. I think Albert Wilson's one of those dudes. So I've been, love taking, Wilson him in, like, I've been taking him in. I've, I've probably taken him in like five or six different leagues right now. Um, so I'm really banking. <laughs> I'm really banking on the Wilson breakout. I think he's a good player. And in this situation, obviously in Miami is less than ideal. Um, but He's going to be a big focus, I think, in that offense. And so, yeah, for sure. Like if you're if you're looking for a gem later, he, he's a great guy to check to, to take late in the draft. Beautiful. And somehow that only covers two of the Texans trades this weekend, but not all of them. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. Football is finally back and DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy football is huge week one contest. The first one starts this Thursday when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Just draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up. New users who sign up today with the code RINGER will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million bucks. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RINGER. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter RINGER to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code RINGER, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And while we're here, here's an insider travel secret from Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. 
Hotel Tonight teams up with awesome hotels to help them sell these rooms and then passes those savings along to you. It's your one-stop shop for booking cool, top-rated hotels at incredible values. Their name is Hotel Tonight, but you can actually book in advance. It's perfect for planners and procrastinators alike. This summer, you can score an extra amazing deal with Hotel Tonight's Daily Drop feature. In most cities, you can use Daily Drop to unlock a special deal at a hotel selected just for you. Once your deal is unlocked, move quickly. You'll only have 15 minutes to book. If you want to swipe again, you can unlock a new deal every day. It's a great way to take an even more spontaneous trip because you never know what you're going to get. From staycations to weekend getaways, great hotel deals are just one swipe away. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app to unlock your daily drop. All right, DK. So we only got two of the three Texans trades this weekend. So yeah, they had a wild uh, weekend. <laughs> this is your main event. This is this is kind of like your Super Bowl for this year. Uh, the Seahawks <laughs> traded for Jadavion Clowney. They won the Clowney yeah. sweepstakes. I don't even know if sweepstakes is the right word here, but uh, they sent a 2020 third round pick. Uh, linebacker or pass rusher Barkevis Mingo, who did not seem like a lock to make the team. No, and then also going to get cut. Yeah. And then pass rusher Jake Martin. There is a lot of fascinating complications here of whether this is a terrible trade or whether what they would have could have gotten compensatory pick, you know, basic things about football, you know, long-term planning, all that jazz. We're going to put that aside for right now. How does Jadavion Clowney being on the Seahawks affect fantasy football this year? I think first of all, I mean, for leagues that have a D defense special team slot, I mean, I think it just bumps the Seahawks up a little bit. I think that it just makes their defense overall a lot better. More importantly, though, um, there had been some, sort of this push of late, and I was a part of it, that the Seahawks were going to have to pass way more in 2019 um, just based on the fact that, you know, this their defense just did not have – it what it looked like, a, you know, like an ability to to stop anyone, I think, kind of going into the season and um, adding Clowney. It doesn't make them a, a good defense or a great defense, um, but I think it definitely elevates their defense to the point where they can still play the style of ball that they want to play, which is slow, you know, like slow the game down, try and control the clock, do all that because they think that their defense can stop teams. Um, that's just Pete Carroll's MO. It's been like that since the beginning, since he got here. You know, again, there was sort of the thought that maybe they have to abandon that just because they'd be playing from behind all the time this year. Well, and also, so I, the Seahawks, the Seahawks were one of the most run heavy teams, really, a, a lot of this decade. And last year it was them and the Ravens, and the Ravens were running at a historic pace at the right, end of last right. season. And the Seahawks were the only team running anywhere in their vicinity. And then Russell Wilson comes out, signs a $35 million a year contract, makes him the highest paid player in NFL history. And they're thinking, all right. Well, if the defense is a little worse, you're losing Earl Thomas. They're going to have to chase leads more often. Russell Wilson gets all this money, and they're thinking they're going to pass more. And now Clowney's going to make their defense better, and maybe none yeah. of that's true. So uh, t to me, this it, this makes Wilson, like, if you're talking about losers in this deal, football-wise, it's probably good for the Seahawks overall. It's definitely good for the Seahawks overall, in my opinion. Um, fantasy football-wise, I think it makes Wilson's upside a little bit lower, just because they're probably going to continue to do what they did last year a little bit more now. Um, that It slightly probably hurts Tyre Lockett, DK Metcalf, you know, Jerron Brown, David, uh, David Moore, any of the guys that you might take on the Seahawks offense. The passing game, I think, is, is not going to... It lessens the probability that this is going to be a wide-open passing game. And so um, that, to me, is the fantasy football impact. And, and, you know, it just 
basically lowers all the Seahawks pass catchers in my mind a little bit. Does that so you're lower on Lockett, Jaron Brown? I'm certainly low on Metcalf. Slightly. Does that raise Chris Carson slightly for you too? I know you love your boy Chris Carson. I mean, yeah, it could it could it could be like a, a little bump up. Yeah, I think just because again they're gonna it, it allows them to play the style of ball they want to play a little bit more. So yeah, I think that's I think that's the fantasy fallout for that specific trade. Obviously, well, for the um, Seahawks, what about the te- looking at the Texans for a second? So Seahawks defense slightly better. Texans defense, we assume, is slightly worse. Now, the Texans were already yeah. kind of poised to see more passing this season because they went from one of the easier schedules in the league to one of the more difficult schedules in the league, which presumably was going to mean less big leads, more having to pass from when behind. Watson's numbers are much better when they're passing from behind. So does this kind of just only solidify in your mind everything we just said about how the Texans are in a little better spot with the receiving core and everything? Yeah. Now they're going to see even more bump in volume? Yep. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it just makes this gives them, it, yeah, it gives them more shootout potential. And in fantasy, you want shootouts. And so I think, yeah, I think it's just, it's a slight bump up for the overall offense. And especially, you know, Deshaun Watson, who's going to have to make some, make some things happen in, when they start playing in these higher scoring games. So, um, yeah, I think the Texans defense is going to be pretty significantly worse without Clowney. And the Seahawks is going to be pretty significantly better. So that's obviously a fantasy factor. It's not like, as heavy, crazy, impactful as like the, you know, as some of these major trades that happened over the offseason over the weekend, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. Okay, so slightly less exciting. Moving from shootouts to holdouts. Uh Ezekiel <laughs> yeah. Elliott's saga uh remains a roller coaster. Uh DK, do you want to just run us through I mean the timeline of this has been annoying all August, but the ups and downs of even the last few days from this story. Do you want to just take us on this roller coaster for a moment, DK? <laughs> Yeah, so Yahoo's Charles Robinson, very good reporter, um, kind of had, you know, there was like a, a, a roller coaster, like you said, uh, throughout the day. 9.50 a.m., he reported the Cowboys are close to completing a contract extension with running back Ezekiel Elliott. He's reporting this, not speculating it. And for the record, uh, Adam Schefter and uh, those Fort Worth Star Telegrams, Clarence Hill, all reported that it was like getting really close. So basically everyone was reporting it was really, really close. It was about to happen. Um, and then later in the day, by 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, uh, Robinson reported that Dallas is frustrated with the last exchange with Zeke Elliott. Um, so, And then, he, quote, after Saturday's momentum, Cowboys expected more compromise to get a deal done today. Didn't happen, so it's on to Monday and a hopeful reset. So... We're here on Monday. We are recording this on Monday. Monday morning at 11.38 a.m. Nothing's happened yet, as I've seen. Um, and, and then this definitely uh, sort of puts, I guess, the damper on the, the probability of him starting in week one. So that's huge. Yeah. So Jane Slater of NFL Network reported on Monday morning after all those updates on Sunday. On Monday, Jane Slater reported that the deal is, quote, not close. Uh, and this, so this is interesting, too, because there was a lot of kind of contradictory reporting in Cowboys camp between the Dak Prescott negotiations, specifically whether Dak wanted 40 million or 35 million a year. That doesn't really mean anything, but the broader point is that there's definitely news reports from both sides of this negotiation, from the Cowboys side and then Ezekiel Elliott's side with his agents. There definitely have been, I would say, more conflicting reports on this than you usually see in these kinds of situations. So it's kind of made it difficult to really know what's going to happen, whether he comes back or not. Obviously, Zeke was, so he didn't go to training camp. He was holding out. He was staying, he was training in Mexico. And now it's really unclear whether he's going to play this season. You know, 
really kind of what it comes down to is, you know, he might not, he may or may not play week one, whether even if he shows up, he might just not right. be ready to join the offense week one. The broader right. question is whether, because he's under contract for two years. And I think the key thing to understand this, if you're having nightmares about Le'Veon Bell and you have Zeke Elliott thing, the neat thing you need to know is this. Le'Veon Bell was not under contract last year. He was in a like a like a void <laughs> negative zero space because right. he was not under contract and didn't sign his franchise tag. So the Steelers couldn't uh, fine him. They could they didn't really have any power to tell him what to do. Zeke is under contract for basically two more years. So this, this he's in a very different a situation. Year. Yeah, this season plus a fifth year. So uh, the option. odds that it, we, we I don't think we have the uh, confidence to say anything for sure. But what we do know is it would be much, much more difficult for Elliott to sit out the whole year, anything like Le'Veon Bell did. The real situation is whether he would show up around week six to get an accrued year of service time. That seems to be the broader question around this Elliott thing. So let's just start with the, the, the easier part of this. What do you do right now if you are looking at Tony Pollard, his backup, who the Jerry Jones has been very happy to talk about? I mean, yeah. Just, so, what do you do right now? Yeah, and so like one of our colleagues, David Lara, was asking us actually before the weekend, what do I do about Zeke? And I just told him, take Zeke, but then make sure you get Pollard. You know, I think Zeke has the type of, uh, you know, league winning type potential, obviously, down the down the stretch. Like he's going to be a major, major bell cow once he comes back. Um, and I don't think it's like, crazy to take him at number four overall i think if you're taking him at number three that's a little bit different um but if you're going if 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 kamara saquon and mccaffrey are all off the board i don't have a problem taking zeke even now um but you have to reach a little bit later in the draft to get pollard just have that insurance policy for later um for i, I should say for earlier in the season um if he does hold out a couple of games i don't think he's gonna hold out the whole season and i do think once he comes back he's gonna be you know, a huge, huge fantasy factor. So short term, the winner is obviously Pollard, Tony Pollard, who has looked really good in the preseason. By all accounts, it looks like they're going to make him sort of their number one guy. Um, and yeah, so he he's the obvious early winner and Zeke is the obvious early loser. But it doesn't really change my opinion too much on like where to take Zeke, to be honest. So let's put this into like some real terms. If you let's say you take Zeke at four or five, maybe you take David Johnson ahead of him. What round do you start looking at Tony Pollard? Just because you know you're you might be screwed for a month and a half if you don't get him. Because this is where rankings kind of fail. Because one person needs them so much more than everyone else. <laughs> like eight or nine, nine, ten. I mean, ideally, you get him in like eleven or twelve. But that's probably pushing. It's not worth it. waiting. You're pushing it, your luck. Um. So yeah, I would say like. Eight, nine, something like that. And people will know you need Pollard, which will actually push them to take him before you. Yeah. So this is where Snake and Auction is so different. Uh, you're so right, Craig, because in Snake, it's like, well, if you want to screw that person, you have to take him. But in Auction, you can just bid the crap out of Tony Pollard because whoever the guy who has Zeke Elliott's probably going to pay almost whatever it takes. So, you know, maybe he's suggested values three bucks or whatever in your auction league, but you can bump him up to 11 and like you probably still have to pay it. Yeah, but then you're getting Pollard, who might play as a lead back for two games, and then it's it's it, all you know. It's it's a it's give and take. It's definitely like so. Zeke has kind of become a similar version of Gurley, and I think the offseason all advice almost universally was: if you get Todd Gurley, you probably have to get Daryl Henderson. Now it's actually 
much more true of Ezekiel Elliott just because there's so much less information. And um, I still think that there is a chance that this is a mostly negotiating ploy that they want everyone to think there's a levy on bell aspect to this, that they don't have as much leverage as bell did. Um, I do think Elliot returns, but I no longer know exactly yeah. when I think it might be mid season. So it's wow. So yeah, if you get him, got to get Tony Pollard. And if he signs Monday afternoon, we're sorry. And all of this. <laughs> That's the thing. So actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's Monday. It's, it's a two forty four Eastern. So yeah, forgive me, us. Let, with this. Let me ask you this though, before we Hit move me. on, does Pollard have standalone value in your mind? Like so, if you get him in the tenth round or eleventh round, is that still like worthwhile if Zeke comes back? Yes, for two reasons. One, I'm higher on handcuffing star guys than usual than mm. most people on players that are three down backs that I think their backup could get almost the same volume. So like, I actually do think that let's say Zeke plays eighty five percent of the team's snaps. I mean, I'm not saying he does play roughly eighty five percent of the snaps for the Cowboys when he's in. I think Tony Pollard would get like. 60% if Zeke uh, missed any time. That's still right. like top 10 numbers. Of, like, that's 60% is a lot. That's like yeah. like Alvin yeah. Kamara gets 61% or something. So I, I'm, if pa- Saquon Barkley goes down, I don't think any Giants running back gets more than 50. I'm not a huge fan of handcuffing Giants backs because I don't think Wayne Gallman or Paul Perkins is going to get you know huge numbers. I do think Paul does. So on those players, so for example, don't love the handcuffs for Christian McCaffrey or Saquon. I do love the handcuffs for Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara in New Orleans, Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott in Dallas. Then the flip side is I do think there is a chance they use Tony Pollard on the field at the same time as Zeke, but probably not as much as they want you to think. I think the Rams will use Henderson and Gurley on the field at the same time way more often than the Cowboys will use Zeke and Pollard for the bare bones reason of they have been able to practice that. So I think that they've said they want to use Pollard like Alvin Kamara, but I mean, they haven't been able to practice that way, so I don't really believe it. Right. And Kellen Moore is sort of the wild card, the X factor here. You know, the new play caller in Dallas, who by all reports has been much more modern and forward thinking than what we've seen in Dallas over the last few years. Obviously, they were like an old school offense for a long time. Um, so maybe that means they use Pollard on jet sweeps and end arounds and as a slot receiver and and do all this stuff that, you know, you'd love to see an offensive weapon like Pollard used as. But a lot of teams talk about that and then they never do it. So um, I think more is another just huge variable that we don't really it's hard yeah. to predict exactly what he's going to do. Our colleague Robert Mays wrote a fantastic uh, piece as part of his play calling series about Kellen Moore. And really, uh, my one of my takeaways from it is just, it's so strange because, I mean, he was I mean, he was Dak's backup quarterback for a year and then he's been quarterbacks coach. Now he's coordinator. But it's you have him spending time in one of the most vanilla, maybe the most vanilla offense in football <laughs> of what the Cowboys right. been doing. But in college, he was. Boise State, I mean, he's one of the most winning college quarterbacks of all time. Right. And then Boise State, the offense he ran at Boise State was one of the more diverse in all of college football, which is infinitely more diverse than the NFL. So you have he is his experience in the plays and schemes he's ran is kind of both ends of the full football spectrum. It's kind of yeah. fascinating. So we it, it's difficult to know exactly where that'll play out. So it'll be a fun offense. But definitely. We have another holdout to get to, DK. Before we go on, let's take one more quick break. We've all made some bad choices in life. I know I have. I drafted Le'Veon Bell in the Ringer Fantasy League last year. But don't let missing out on fantasy football be one of them. It's not too late to create or join a league on Yahoo. Football rules, and having a fantasy team makes football season even better. 
Try a new best ball format where all you do is draft. No waivers, no trades, all season long. It's two-minute drill time, so drive down the field and score yourself a fantasy team. You won't regret choosing Yahoo. You will regret missing signups. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Football. All right, DK, we have one more holdout to get to. This one's a little more different. We got Melvin Gordon with the Chargers. He has still not shown up to camp, and we have more concrete news on this, but also more mystery. So uh, (laughs) this one is this one. I have like far less confidence. It's going to end quickly. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, Tom Telesco and the, in the chargers front office seem to be playing hardball. At least they're, they're trying to tell everyone that they're playing hardball. He said uh, over the weekend, he said that they've suspended negotiations with Gordon until after the season. So his contract, his new contract apparently is not going to come. Now that's, you know, sometimes teams don't actually follow that and maybe, maybe Gordon will, you know, take whatever's on the table and, and go with it. But essentially what they're saying is they're not going to keep negotiating with him, you know, as the season starts. And so it's basically take it or leave it. Um, and he's also said stuff like, for instance, over the weekend, he he said, and I'll quote him, I think the day and age of having to have one running back to carry it 300 times is probably not the smartest thing in the world. Anyways, even if you have a big bell cow back, you like to have another back to come in and spell them. So, He's hedging, you know, against using Gordon as a feature back anyway, even if he does come back. And so basically he, he's doing what like the running backs don't matter thing is like your committee is just fine. Like they're not going to see a huge, huge drop off without Gordon. Um, so his situation is definitely really interesting. There's a chance he misses a big chunk of the season. Um, he's going to be getting fined. Or, or losing out on game checks, I should say. Um, and, and so, like, he's going to have to decide if he wants to do the Le'Veon Bell thing and kind of, like, not risk injury and then try and get a huge deal later. Or, you know, but then he has to weigh, like, losing all the money this year. So, essentially, Gordon can either play in 2019 and make $5.6 million or sit out the season, and, and he's going to lose game checks along the way. So, you tell me exactly when he's going to come back. There's three main differences between Gordon and Z- Elliott's situation. Number one is service time. Zeke is under contract for two more years, and Gordon, is, this is his last year, which gives Gordon way more le- or freedom to just do a little more risky play. Right. Second is just injuries. Melvin Gordon, I don't know if I want to say he's more to lose, but he has more of an injury history where he, I understand him being more concerned about getting hurt this year and then becoming a free agent than Zeke does about who Zeke doesn't have the same injury history. Uh, at least have two more years of salary going. And then third is just the quality of the backup. We like Tony Pollard, but he's still an unknown quantity. And whatever the Cowboys yeah. want to say, they don't know what he's going to be like either. The Chargers have somewhat known qualities that Austin Eckler is basically one of the more efficient running backs in the whole league in limited snaps. And they know he's got a quality. So I, when the Chargers say we're very happy with Austin uh, as an every down back, I believe them. When the Cowboys say that about Pollard, I hear that speaking to Elliot himself. Uh, I think the Chargers mean it when they say Eckler. Right. So I don't know when Gordon's going to come back. I think Eckler is a huge value right now because if you believe that Gordon is not going to come back, maybe it'll midseason, maybe he skips the whole season. Eckler's going like 64th on ESPN. He's like 70th on Fantasy Pros. I mean, if Melvin Gordon doesn't play this year, Austin Eckler should be 30, 40 spots higher. So that to me is amazing. And I also think Justin Jackson, who is the third string guy, would become kind of like the second guy, maybe more like 
Eckler's 1A and Justin Jackson's 1B in that situation. Right. He's a seventh rounder last year at Northwestern, 50 carries for 206 yards last year. But you can get him in like round 14 and he should be going like five or six or seven rounds higher if Gordon doesn't play. So right, right. Um, I like both those as flyers. I really don't know what's going to happen with Gordon. I think that he has a way higher chance of missing serious time than Elliot, though. Yeah, so just- I got a question for you guys. If Zeke holds out into the season and Melvin Gordon holds out into the season, would you rather have Tony Pollard or Austin Eckler? Good question. I get, my short answer is Eckler because he's done it. He's shown that he can have fantasy value before, even when Gordon's on the field. And also because I think that Gordon, if they're both holding out, I think Gordon has a higher chance of being out longer. I think Elliot eventually has to return. I don't know if the same is true for Melvin Gordon. Yeah, it's tough, man. But I'm really I, excited about I like Pollard a lot, though. I, I don't know. Yeah. Do you see a case here for Melvin Gordon being a value? He's he's a guy that was probably 11th or 12th overall if he showed up to camp and now suddenly he's going in the 30s. If he signs a deal tomorrow, I mean, do you think he's that going, the chance? Dude. When do you want to take the gamble on him? He's going later than that now. He's well, going so, in like fourth, fifth round. It's so crazy. at what point do you yeah. just take the, what to, at what point do you pull the trigger and take him, DK? Late third, fourth. I think it's, I think it's still worthwhile. I, I think the Zeke and Gordon situations are different, not just because of the year that they're going into, but because I think Zeke has elite potential um, if he's playing. Whereas Melvin Gordon, I think his usage was probably going to go down a little bit, you know, especially based on what Tom Telesco is saying, uh, you know, with like the bell cow back type thing. I, I, I think Dallas would still make Zeke a heavy, heavy bell cow. Whereas, Gordon was already due for regression in the first place, I think, just based on the fact that he scored so many red zone touchdowns last year, w- scored way more touchdowns over expectation last year than, than you know, like an average player. So I think he was definitely going to go. He's going to regress in the touchdown area. They might, like, like pare down his, his usage a little bit, too. So I think that makes Zeke's situation different than Gordon's. I still think Gordon is a value, though, like where he's going right now. And I, I'm, I'm, I took him last night in a draft. You took Melvin Gordon in draft last night? Yeah. Where'd you take him? I was trying to find it. I think it was in the fourth round. And I thought that, I, like, to me, that was like, I'll do that for sure. Did you Did you make sure to grab Eckler or Justin yeah, Jackson? Yeah, I, I grabbed Justin Jackson late in the draft. Wow. So I, I kind of covered my bases there. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, overall, the, the upside is still definitely there. I don't think he's going to be an Ezekiel Elliott type player this year, if he is in. But I do think... There's tons of upside there still. Do you think that's a, it's good for running backs? Like, what happened to Le'Veon Bell and him holding out the entire season and then signing the contract with the Jets? Like, is that a positive sign for running backs doing the same thing, or or did it did it not go well enough to where now running backs are thinking maybe this isn't the right decision? Uh, my, so I have a different take on this than most. Uh, if you listen to what Le'Veon Bell said the entirety of 2018, from the moment that the Steelers' season ended. Uh, in January, to, he said, this is not about money solely. It's about respect, which comes through the form of money and guaranteed money. But he was he basically like the, after the the Steelers lost in January, they asked him what would happen you if you franchise tagged again. He said he would he would consider retiring, maybe sit out the year because he wants to pave the road for Zeke Elliott, Melvin Gordon. Uh, he n- mentioned them by name. And said that. If like he's trying to restore value to running backs, he said, I don't care about money. I all I have left in my career is this, like I want to win a Super Bowl. But other than that, I, I, I've made plenty of money. I play football because I love it. 
and I'm willing to sacrifice a year. So I don't think looking at it solely through money is the right lens. And I think Melvin Gordon, if he sits out, it's because he believes the similar thing that Melvin Gordon's made plenty of money, but it's about the idea that they feel the position and them have been disrespected. And I think that when it's, it's about disrespect, it's more than just normal contract negotiation. They feel that they're sticking up for their tribe. And I think Melvin Gordon sees Le'Veon was before him. Now it's Gordon's turn and then someone will do after him. And I think they see a line between them threading it, which is why I believe Gordon has a stronger chance of doing this than Elliot because Elliot has two years left and is kind of really second to, to Gordon. I don't think they're in the same line, but that's how, that's my take on Le'Veon's. I guess I'm asking though is, did it work? Did Le'Veon bring respect to the position by doing what he did? Nobody tried. I mean, he didn't get as much money as he thought he would get. But I don't think that makes him a failure because he look, I know this isn't exactly fantasy adjacent, but he tried to make a stand. It didn't work, but he tried like he put his he put his money where his mouth was, which was I feel disrespected. I'm willing to put something on the line. He did. That's more than most people do. It's certainly more than most star athletes do. So I don't really understand the disrespect and kind of the the chirping at him because it's like he put, he like took a stand and he took a financial toll for it for what he believed. And that's more than most people do. Uh, so I, I respect him for it because he just did it. Um, and I think that Melvin, I wouldn't be shocked if Melvin Gordon followed the same path. I'd be surprised if Zeke did because he's got two years left. Gotcha. Well put. None of these guys, none of these guys, I, I think the big thing is too, like none of them want to set up new precedent because, you know, obviously Gurley got his big deal and then Bell got a big deal. It wasn't as big as he was hoping, but it was still a pretty significant amount of money. Um, you don't want to have... Like none of these guys want to be like the new set of precedent where all the teams are like, well, did you see that? Yeah, uh, he didn't get very much money. Like running backs in general, I'm sure want like you were you were alluding to this. Running backs want their salaries to keep going up, you know, like every other position in football, basically. But it at some point that that's going to break and it's not going to happen. I don't think anyone wants to be the first one to do it. You know, that's that's the word DK precedent because every negotiation really sets the pace for the next one. That's why if you look at a lot of the top safeties. Earl Thomas, Landon Collins, like a lot of them have the same agent. It's um, uh, David Mulugeta and a lot of running backs kind of use the same people, like the same people use the negotiations. And then that creates a real solidarity among the group where they kind of look at each other as like a small fraternity and they all take care of each other. And I think that's kind of a new development that is forming here. Um, yeah. And I think that be- whereas receivers are probably competing with each other a little more, the running backs are kind of kind of banding together. In these negotiations, so I, I I do see it stretching longer. Having said that, maybe he signs a deal tomorrow, and this is all moot. <laughs> so it's hard to it's hard to lose those game checks, man. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So let's just touch on a couple last moves that are small but could pay could could be important down the line. So DK, want to want to run through some of these? Yeah. Uh, we'll just t- tick them off. Like uh, Taywan Taylor, um, former Titans receiver, who a, a lot of people have been in, like excited about for the last couple. You seasons. love Taiwan Taylor. I'm I'm agnostic. I don't really have really an opinion on him, to be honest. Um, but it is interesting that he was traded to the Browns. I think that puts pressure on Antonio Callaway, who's already, I think, on thin ice. Um, and it also kind of throws into the question, does, does, does he take Richard Higgins' spot as kind of the de facto number three on the team? I think it's going to push both of those guys. Um, Taylor's a good player. You know, he he's had some issues with drops with the Titans and just basically didn't fit in. But that offense has been pretty bad. And so... He's going to a team that has a chance to be one of the better offenses in the NFL, especially pass offenses down the field. So that's interesting to me. I think he's definitely worth a flyer 
in like your last roster spot, just to kind of see how it plays out. That's that's how I've been treating like Richard Higgins. I like him kind of as a as a late round flyer to to, to just see how the the volume sort of you know plays out in Cleveland. See how that goes. The second one was in Jacksonville. I think in in Craig, you're gonna love this, but Fournette is the starter there, and it's there's like very little question of that now. Thomas Rawls, the was, stars are aligning. <laughs> exactly, Thomas Rawls was cut. Alfred Blue to the IR, which means now the team has two rookie running backs behind Fournette. Um, Rykel Armstead, I guess, right now is the number two, and so that's kind of cool for people who sunk a last round pick into Armstead in case Fournette gets hurt. Um, but the team did add Divine Ozigbo, who uh, was taken, I believe, by the Saints. Yeah, he, he got cut from the Saints. Um, former Nebraska running back, kind of got some... He's, he's a good athlete. A lot of people in the draft community were really excited about him. Um, so he has a chance to maybe jump Armstead as the back there. But uh, bottom line is, like, Fournette is, has no... I guess, real competition at this point. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's I think Fournette was obviously at most of the touches. And the question was how involved are they were Jacksonville's coaches saying they want to get him more involved in the passing game or was he going to come off the field on third and ten? And now looking at right, what like right. we always say. Look at what coaches do, not what they say. And based on who they kept on this roster, I'd be pretty surprised if they left like pass protection for Nick Foles to like a couple you know, rookies and people <laughs> right. they just added this week. Ultimately, those aren't the people going to be blocking for Nick Foles on, you know, if the if the opposing defense calls engage eight, those aren't the dudes. So I think Leonard Fournette is going to reemerge or reestablish himself as one of those 80 to 90 percent snap guys, which is real elite territory. So we love we love Leonard Fournette on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Last uh, one. I've New around. England, DK. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So there was some their movement in the receiver core again in New England. Obviously, we knew Josh Gordon came back, but now Nikhil Harry is going on the IR to start the season, which means I don't think he can come back. What is it for six or eight weeks? One one of the, the mid-season ish, he can't come back until, um, which means that's obviously good for Gordon, who could get more targets now. Um, I don't think it necessarily affects Edelman, though. Again, he could just get more, a little more targets if they're not spreading the ball around as much to to Harry. And then I think it's a bonus for Demarius Thomas, who initially got cut, but then got re-signed by the team this morning. He obviously had a big, um, big game in week preseason week four, and um, looks like he's on his way to a recovery, and so. Um. Yeah. That the the offense there is shaken up quite a bit. Obviously, it makes Jacoby Myers a little bit more interesting too, because with Harry on the IR, he could uh, have factor or he could be a factor in that offense. Yeah, I'm willing to gamble on Gordon and Edelman, but I think that that will be a rotating door for the third receiver behind them. And don't forget that in truth, James White is their second or third receiver, and that this is really the fourth option on that team. So I don't necessarily think it's fantasy relevant. I don't think the player will be predictable every week. And I don't even think, I certainly don't think the distribution, I, I don't love any of those options until someone establishes themselves as like, I will be on the field for that team. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's Gordon and Edelman, right? If anything, I think that this news reminded me that, you know, I don't think, I don't think it was common knowledge that kill Harry was that injured enough to go on IR for the first half of the season. I think it's a reminder that a lot of times our players are playing through injuries, even if they're not listed on the injury report. And right. that kind of those quiet injuries affect players, depth charts, and also production more than we think. And if you see someone, a player 
have an issue on the field, just remember that that might be dragging through like DeAndre Hopkins last year after this wasn't listed on the injury report almost at all for shoulder injury. And then at the end says that he shoulder was the most difficult stretch of football he's ever had in his life. So just a thing to keep in mind uh, throughout the year. Yeah. So the bottom line, do you think this boosts Gordon in your mind? Quite honestly, no, because I don't think the killer Harry had a shot to play in the first few weeks of the season. I think it based on how he's playing, it was clear that he was not going to win that job. And I think part of this IR thing is that, he wasn't going to play like they didn't think he was ready. Um, so I think that I, I don't think if he was not placed on IR, it's like he was going to earn a bunch of snaps. So I don't, I don't right. think it changes right. anything. But uh, if you were worried about Nikhil Harry, then yes, it certainly doesn't help Nikhil Harry doesn't help Nikhil Harry. But hopefully we were able to help you guys today. Thank you to everyone for listening. Best of luck in your drafts. If you haven't drafted yet, best of luck in week one, if you already have. And thank you to everyone for listening. We appreciate it. We'll, We'll see you guys later. Hotel Tonight shows you incredible deals at cool hotels you'll actually want to stay at. Score an extra amazing deal with Hotel Tonight's daily drop feature. Unlock a special deal at a hotel selected just for you and snag it within 15 minutes. If you want to swipe again, you can unlock a new deal every day. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app to unlock your daily drop.